Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. It's been more than two months since the world of sports, in the U.S. anyway, shut down completely. A few sports are inching back. MMA was back last weekend. NASCAR is back this weekend. There are plans afoot for golf and for tennis and for some other sports as well. At this point, the NFL says everything is on schedule for training camps in July for the start of the regular season in September. But there's still so many questions to be answered. There are so many safety considerations, obviously. Our first guest is one of America's most eminent scientists, Dr. Harold Varmus. In the 1990s, he was the director of the National Institutes of Health and from 2010 to 2015, the director of the National Cancer Institute. 31 years ago, he was a co-recipient of the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine, and he is currently the director of the Varmus Lab at Weill Cornell Medicine. Dr. Varmus, it, it is an honor uh, to have you here, and not just because you go back uh, about 70 years with my, with my family on, from the South Shore of Long Island. Thank you very much, and I hope it's more of a pleasure than an honor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both. It's both. But um, let, let me start by asking you, you know, I, I set it up in the introduction. You know, major sports are still trying to figure out in this country when they can resume. You know, we've seen it in Germany. They're playing soccer now. In Korea and Taiwan, they're playing baseball. What do you think it's going to take uh, for sports to start up again in America without endangering the safety of everyone involved? Well, I think as you uh, indicated in your opening remarks, this, this is not going to be a binary switch. It's not going to be as though there's one finding and suddenly the light switches on and now we go, we return back to normal sporting life. Uh, we have to think through this problem uh, in relation to the kind of sports uh, that is involved, how much contact there is, how many people are involved, how um, and uh, how the audience is assembled and uh, uh, how much it takes to finance uh, the, the sporting activity in a reasonable way. I do think that in these conversations about sports, we ought to take a little bit more time to think about uh, what it means for people to play these sports on their own. For example, while I, my major role as a spectator at sports is focused on the U.S. Open and other uh, tennis tournaments, I also play. And uh, a month ago, we were told by the U.S. Tennis Association that, that people shouldn't play because of the possibility of the balls being a vector for the virus and people using the same water fountain and so forth. And I think all of us who play tennis and love it and need it for, um, for exercise and for staying in shape have to think carefully about how we approach the game. And I think uh, it's worth thinking about that because uh, whether it's sandlot softball or uh, jogging or riding a bike or, or going rowing, um, we have to think through how we behave uh, when we ourselves are engaged in sports, which from a medical point of view is uh, uh, at least as important, if not more important, than simply going as a spectator to watch your favorite team or your favorite um, men's single player uh, perform. Um, and uh, I, uh, in case of tennis, for example, you know we don't shake hands anymore. We uh, we're careful about the ball in one way or another. You know, face touching, wash your hands afterwards. Um, be sure that uh, if, if you're playing at a public court, that you're 
um, you're, you're washing your hands and, and uh, being careful about uh, the possibility of uh, contracting the virus uh, in, in um, uh, ways that you might not otherwise have thought about. So thinking things through um, very carefully is critical because one of the things this pandemic has done to everybody is make, make us realize that, uh, that what we do is complex, involves uh, whether we're simply playing on the field or sitting uh, in the stands, uh, interactions that are, um, are conditions that, 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 that um, allow the virus to transmit, be transmitted. And let's not fool ourselves. The virus is still fairly abundant. Uh, case numbers are coming down, but there are many people out there who feel well and are infected. We don't know how many because um, we have not yet mounted the kind of uh, uh, population-wide testing that needs to be done to, to assure us of, um, that, that, that the number of infected people is declining. We're speaking with Dr. Harold Varmus, the former director of the National Institutes of Health and a Nobel laureate. Uh, Dr. Varmus, you meet regularly uh, online with nine other prominent immunologists, virologists, and epidemiologists, uh, all of you hoping to find a way out of this crisis for the country and for the world. As, as a group, where do you think we in the U.S. are heading right now with this pandemic? Well, there's no doubt that the that we're on the for the most part on uh, a slowly declining slope of uh, of infections, uh, at least in the, the areas where the virus is hit first. Now, there are other, there are parts of the country, and we do have to think about different areas of the country differently. Uh, and the number of tests for virus or tests for um, evidence that people have been exposed to the virus, which is demonstrated by the appearance of antibodies in the blood, that all, all these signs indicate that uh, that we're heading in the right direction. But to say that is not to say the crisis is over. It's far from over. The virus is abundant in many places. And as we attempt to return to normal life, uh, we have to think about two things. One is um, what steps we're willing to take toward normal behavior. And secondly, I think it's critical that we think about new ways to do things, new ways to watch sports, new ways to conduct our business, uh, new ways to think about the economy. Um, it's important to remember that, uh, that, that while we have over 15% unemployment, we also have about 85% employment. People are getting their paychecks. And uh, at least in my case, uh, I, uh, because I'm up here in the countryside and not shopping very much, we're not going out to dinner, um, money is accumulating. We've got to find ways to get that money moving, whether it's toward the support of athletes and, and athletic teams or whether it's to support small businesses and to be sure that money is turning over. Uh, you know, We have to just think in different ways about the economy because we're, until there is kind of security that's uh, afforded by having either life-saving, life-saving therapies so that people don't die of this, or better yet, a vaccine, uh, we're going to have trouble with this virus. Uh, some, some infectious agents disappear as an epidemic wanes, but in this case, there are reasons to think that's not going to happen. This virus seems to be transmitted quite efficiently. People are infectious when they don't have any symptoms. Uh, all these things suggest that, uh, that we're going to have a hard time getting rid of this virus uh, until, until we have um, a vaccine and uh, until we feel more secure because we have therapies that protect us from dying of the symptoms. And as you have all read, 
Um, this is not a pleasant, a pleasant disease. It's very unpleasant, and uh, it ends up, uh, especially among the elderly and people who are comp- compromised by other illnesses, uh, a pretty deadly uh, idea. And it's not, it's not fair to say, well, life is ris- risky. Let's just go ahead and resume the sports we love. We have to be really cautious about the, the ways in which uh, the virus is being allowed to spread, um, and uh, the way in which people who've gone to a, a baseball game can carry virus home to to elderly people, people with other kinds of uh, of uh, health conditions that predispose them to the lethal consequences of infection. With that being the case, Doctor Varmus, you know we're talking about Major League Baseball has a plan for July. Uh, the NBA and the NHL are trying to figure out plans, uh, you know, to start up their seasons again. They're not talking about fans right now, but all the people who might be required to be at these games, in addition to the players and the coaches and the managers. Is there a safe way to do it now? Yeah, well, you know, safe is a, is a, is a word that uh, is always hard to interpret because there's no absolutely safe thing, just as there's no absolutely safe way to drive a car. So you have to decide what, how much risk are you willing to take. Can you find some ways to reduce risk without without uh, impairing the integrity of the game? And you know, you look at, at different sports, and and uh, it becomes quite clear that uh, that playing singles tennis, for example, is probably something you can you can arrange to do fairly safely. Uh, maybe you don't have as many linesmen and umpires as we and ball boys as we usually have. Um, but uh, you know, with a little bit of precaution, you probably can make the game pretty damn safe. Um, maybe the same is true for baseball. Um, one has, and if you combine it with uh, abundant testing to try to detect people who are infected but not symptomatic, um, uh, maybe you can make it uh, reach the level uh, which people are willing to take risks. But uh, we don't want to deny the risk. We need to think a little bit more ima- more imaginatively about how uh, we restore the game and how we restore the, the ways in which we observe the games. Uh, for example, I, I think it would be um, unsavory to almost anybody to think about going to a basketball game in which the, the amphitheater was was filled to the to the to the ceiling with with people who were. Um, Sitting close together and screaming for their for their favorite team and favorite players, uh, that's just a a, a cauldron of, uh, of opportunity for transmitting the virus. There are plans now afoot, you know, to have a U.S. Open this year, to have a French Open in the fall. Wimbledon's been canceled. Would you hear about those plans? What do you think? Well, I think uh, um, we you know we've got to be. Think, cautious about how we modulate the game so that we can make it uh, interesting enough and uh, economically viable and uh, yet confer pleasure um, uh, to the fans and the sense of security to the players. Uh, and it just means giving these, these uh, uh, athletic encounters a, a lot of thought because uh, I do think much as I love the sport, um, and much as we get pleasure from these things, uh, that there are more essential parts of our society that have to be kept intact for this year um, to allow us to, to, to eat and to drink safe water and to uh, get uh, uh, materials from place to place and provide the healthcare workers with things they need to keep people, not just people who have COVID-19, but uh, anybody who's ill um, in the uh, 
reasonable with reasonable chance of uh, getting appropriate care. So um, I think uh, this is an occasion when when sports uh, have to be prepared to uh, uh, to delay things in, in hopes of uh, avoiding a recurrence of the epidemic. And I think you know all of us are concerned about what happens as we try to open life up. That we're watching uh, with uh, interest and concern what ha- what's happened in some countries that have. Um, turn the dial back a little too quickly and uh, seen recurrence. And we know this is likely to happen. Not enough people have been exposed to the virus to have anything that resembles herd immunity. We don't have a vaccine yet. We don't have uh, highly effective drugs that would keep people who got infected from dying. So we have to proceed with caution. Um, you know, if we miss a season, it's not the end of the world. And uh, uh, more important to think about what happens to our society Next year, and be sure we're not uh, decimated by by, the, by this virus. This is a formidable, formidable foe. Dr. Varmus, um, you've been meeting with a group of prominent uh, fellow virologists, epidemiologists, immunologists um, to, to find a way out of this crisis, uh, looking for solutions. When you were at the National Institutes of Health, uh, you championed the establishment of the Dale and Betty Bumpers uh, Vaccine Center. Um, is a vaccine, I mean, we keep hearing at least a year away. Uh, is that what you and your colleagues are thinking right now? I think that's that's fair. Um, I think most of us would say quite a good likelihood we'll have a vaccine. Um, not clear yet how how great it will be, but hopefully it'll be a pretty good one. Um, but it, you know, it's, it, it's not a sure thing we'll have a, a good vaccine. But I think it's very, it's reasonably likely. That's the first uncertainty. And the second is the timing. We've never gotten a vaccine approved in less than about a year and a half, and uh, even that is fast. Um, there are new technologies for making vaccines. They're they're novel scientifically and promising, but uh, you know, most vaccines are made by techniques that have been around for longer than some of these new ones. Um, the, the vaccines that are currently being tested are, uh, in many cases, uh, uh, designed with these new, more rapid technologies, but doesn't mean that those technologies will be effective. And, you know, with this, many things we're not yet sure about, like uh, how, how uh, well the natural virus induces immunity against reinfection, how long that will last, and those are all going to be important determinants of how successful vaccine production is. But there's a, there is a national effort. Um, it's being well-supported, um, uh, and uh, I think all we can do is uh, encourage the government and the, and the private sector to invest heavily in the, in the production of a vaccine uh, and test it as rapidly as possible and uh, then um, find incentives for scaling it up quickly because... You know, there's, there's going to be, a, when there is a good vaccine, there's going to be a major delivery problem. You really want to vaccinate everybody on Earth. That's, uh, that's over 8 billion people, and we're, that's going to take some time. Um, obviously, there'll be an interest in trying to get the vaccine to places where the virus is most prevalent, um, but uh, not, not going to be a time for putting one country's interest over another. Uh, the, the, the difficult part will be, providing the vaccine to places where people are most susceptible to widespread infection. We're speaking with Dr. Harold Varmus, the the Nobel laureate and the former director of the National Institutes of Health. Have you talked to any of the uh, 
people who are making decisions in government or at the sports organizations themselves about what it will take for sports? Sports organizations, no. The closest I come is that one of the guys I play with is a member of the USDA, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that we mainly play tennis and don't uh, discuss the politics. He lets me know what, what's happening, but I, I'm, I'm pretty remote from uh, just making such decisions. Yes, of course, I know plenty of people in government who were involved in making decisions because I've spent a lot of time in government myself and I know a lot of people at the NIH. But, uh, you know, that my my role is distinctly uh, as a kibitzer, not as a, not as a decision maker <laughs> outside of this. But I would say one, one other thing is that uh, for those who are interested, you mentioned this group that I've been meeting with and we did publish uh, an article in the Atlantic Monthly um, a couple of days ago and about the the need for more testing, both to uh, uh, try to move back more safely to uh, normal life and to learn things about the virus that we simply don't know and can only learn by uh, doing uh, large-scale testing and uh, observing what happens as we begin to uh, reopen business and reopen other things. And I think many of the messages that are there are pertinent to uh, those the, the difficult decisions of, of re, restarting a variety of athletic activities. Uh, and it's going to be important to think about you know, what um, athletic teams do, what they uh, what their interactions are with the more general public and with each other, and, uh, and how the financing of these activities works. That's something that's independent of the science, but it nevertheless uh, is going to be framed by where we stand in this pandemic. In the absence of a vaccine, um, and not just the existence of a vaccine, but actually everybody uh, getting vaccinated, can you see um, fans back in the stands, tens of thousands of them at baseball games and football games and so forth? Eventually, not yet. <laughs> but, but even even if there is no vaccine, you can see that happening again. Uh, I think it, there are too many other contingencies. If, if we're thinking about five years from now, it's, it's very difficult to predict because you know, some, some viruses, even pretty, uh, um, pretty damaging ones, uh, recede. And if we have enough testing, we can know that, uh, that, that you test uh, 10,000 people and you don't find anybody who's carrying the virus. And you know that uh, the population is, has, uh, the virus just disappeared. That, that does happen when the virus is being transmitted at a very low rate. It eventually disappears. Um, the other question is whether we have treatments that can keep people from uh, from uh, suffering the the severe consequences of the respiratory inadequacy and the death that that are are found in in, in, in this disease. So it's really hard to answer that question. And uh, I think one of the most troubling things is as implied by your question is that uh, you know, what happens if several years from now we still have no vaccine and uh, and uh, the majority of the population has not been exposed to the virus. People are not immune, or they have sh- short-term, not long-term immunity. And uh, then, how how much do we change the way we operate? And that's uh, that's a very troubling idea. I think right now we have to focus on on the probabilities and uh, you know, what's likely to happen here, um, but keeping in mind that uh, things don't work out as one might have predicted that we have some backup plans to deal with the, the contingency of, um, 
of uh, ongoing infection and uh, ongoing severe disease and death. If, let's say, Commissioner Rob Manfred in baseball or Commissioner Silver the NBA, one of those guys uh, gave you a call and said, what do you think? Can we do this safely without fans? What would be your advice? Uh, I, I think you have to depend. It depends on the sport and uh, and how what kinds of precautions people are willing to take. Whether uh, I, I think you can't say anything is absolutely safe, but I think it is possible for the decisions are never going to be made by people like me. All we can do is give advice that tells you how you can try to monitor infection and gauge the risks. And uh, but ultimate decisions are not going to be made by scientists. They're going to be made by people who um, who make public policy, um, are the the, uh, the governors and members of Congress and people in the administration who ultimately determine uh, how things work. Dr. Harold Varmus, uh, the Nobel laureate, the former director of the National Institutes of Health. It's it has been a pleasure and an honor, and. Um, I hope we can have you on again in the future. Talk about uh, uh, playing bridge in Freeport growing up with my Uncle Bill. That would be fun. Good. Jeremy, thank you very much. Very nice to talk to you. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.